Welcome to the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. We discuss five questions in less than 15 minutes, and I'm very grateful to welcome our guest today. This is Tim Gorey. He is the founder and CEO of Baton Pass out of Branson, Missouri. Tim, thank you so much for joining me on the podcast today. What would you like the audience to know about Baton Pass? Sure. Thanks, Sean. Um, well, Baton Pass is a fairly new company um, that I've started based on my past experience. Uh, what we do is we are all about increasing um, IT leadership capacity. Um, so in departments and also with IT professionals, individuals. And so there's two legs of, of the company and what we do. One is we love to do individual coaching for IT professionals who are making that transition to leadership because it's a very different thing. It's uh, IT professionals tend to, to really focus on things. And when they move into leadership roles, they learn that they've got to really focus on people. And so I help them make that transition. And then uh, we have a consulting arm where we, uh, we come and do I, uh, leadership work with groups in, in IT departments and we help them solve uh, real vexing people problems that they have in their departments. Oh, that's awesome. I love that. And obviously as a leadership person myself, which is why we're doing the podcast, I love leadership and I love your approach that uh, you've got to kind of help the leaders understand that it's about the people not about the things anymore. And uh, so I love that approach. Good for you. And I wish you every success in that. Well, let's go ahead and get started with our questions then. Uh, Tim, the first question, as you've been building your business, what's a challenge that you are proud that you've overcome? Well, uh, one of the things that I wanted to do on the coaching side of things was to build my own curriculum. And uh, not a lot of coaches, there aren't a lot of IT coaches uh, for leadership out there. There's a lot of leadership coaching that's great out there, but not very many people specific to IT. And uh, uh, so I, I figured that's good. That means I, I don't have a ton of competition out there, although there is, there is plenty of need. Um, but I also wanted to write a curriculum um, that would really help guide those efforts because a lot of coaches don't actually have their own curriculum. Uh, to, to lead them by. So um, the, the thing about that challenge is that I, I'm a pretty good writer, but uh, the process of writing is excruciating for me. <laughs> it is uh, a, a real challenge because I'm such a perfectionist that I, I, I want it to come from my head out onto the paper perfect. And you know how it doesn't work, right? right. So, um, so I've, I've been able to accomplish getting that done. That's kind of a step in the direction of writing a book. Um, and so I'm pretty happy that I've, I've got the curriculum done and that that really is kind of a big hurdle uh, to pass uh, for my company. That really is. I have some experience that uh, myself and I can relate to that. So congratulations on getting over that hurdle. That's an awesome experience. So thank you for sharing that. Oh, second question then, how can leaders foster creativity within their teams? That's a really good question um, because I think uh, leaders often will find themselves kind of torn between um, getting people on uh, mission and on vision for the organization um, and then also trying to tell them how to do it or like having processes and procedures that tell um, 
individuals in the organization exactly how to do everything. And there's a benefit to do, having those types of procedures. Um, but the, also the downside a lot of times is it really discourages innovation and creativity. Um, and so the way that I help people sort of foster um, uh, innovation and creativity in departments, especially in IT departments, is by really getting them focused on the vision and the mission of the organization. And, um, and then beyond that, as a leader, what I'm trying to do is, is, is say, you know, anything that you do that furthers this mission and this vision is great with me and really try to encourage uh, anything that, that moves us in that direction, even if it's not something that was my idea or the CEO's idea or, you know, anybody else's idea who's a leader in the company. Um, and, and even if it's not an idea that we end up running with as an entire organization, um, still being encouraging of those kinds of ideas that, that you can really identify hit on the mission and the vision of the organization um, that encourages creativity. It allows people to go, it's okay for me to throw something out there. As long as it aligns with the vision and the mission, um, then anything goes. We can try stuff. That's, that's, um, that really is a product, I think, of focusing on that mission and vision and not worrying quite as much from a leadership perspective on the how. Let, let your people figure out the how a lot of times and just really focus on the why. The, I really the, like that. Great approach. Uh, yeah, it's it's easy as the leader to kind of micromanage and start telling everybody and prescribe how exactly it should be done. And there's, there's certain situations where that needs to be the case, but I love your approach about giving them the opportunity to decide how something should be done. Great response. I love that. Question number three, how can leaders build trust between the team members? Well, I know the, the the big word that's buzzword that's going to be used on this one is culture, right? And how do you foster a culture um, that that sort of engenders that kind of trust between people? Um, it's one thing, like you said, to uh, to be a leader and and show yourself trustworthy as a leader uh, for for the people that that look to you. It's another thing entirely to foster a, a sort of a culture or an environment in which people nat more naturally trust each other. Um, the way that I would do that is, is, to, um, is to look at value statements for the organization. Um, most organizations have uh, a value statement, and if they don't, it should be developed. <laughs> um, right. Something that really kind of says uh, what we're about and what we value as an organization. And, and when you're hiring people, it's important that you hire people who are on board with those values, right? Which, and if you have a whole team that's on board with those values, then it's much easier for them to trust each other because they know that at a base level, they all have these same values that they're operating under. Um, you aren't always able to hire everybody, right? We're not all startups. A lot of times you come into a job as the leader and you get hired into the job and you're inheriting a group of people that you're to lead. And sometimes they have their issues already. <laughs> and so right. um, one of the things that I have used in the past that's been really effective for that is to work with your team to put together uh, what some people call a social contract, um, it, which really is just a, the process of developing a written 
value statement that you all as a team agree on, that we all agree that we're going to treat each other these ways, so that these are the, the words that sort of highlight what matters to us as a group. And when you've done that, then you put that social contract in places that are visual that people can see. And as a leader, you remind them when people are sort of behaving in a way that is against the social contract, you remind them what we all agreed to, right? Not, not me, not you, not this person over here. So when you have a challenge between two employees um, and, they're, and they're really having a hard time trusting each other, uh, you can use the social contract as a third thing out here that says, remember, we, we've, we all value this. Right. But this isn't this behavior doesn't really look like that. And and so when you get people in the organization doing that with each other, now you kind of increase the situation where people can really trust each other. And one thing I'll say about that, too, is as a leader, you often get somebody who has a problem with somebody else and they'll come to you and say, I got a problem with this person. <laughs> and the first thing that I'll do is I'll say, have you talked to the person? Right? Because why are you talking to me? You should be talking to the person that you're having trouble with and, and sit down with the social contract and remind yourselves first, as you start the conversation, what you agree on about what, why, we're, why we're all here. And, and then, you know, talk about what you're having concerns with, right? And that'll build a relationship with them that doesn't have me as a leader in the middle of it. Uh, such great comments and great ideas and all of that. I like the idea of the social contract. I like the idea of kind of stepping back and saying, okay, well, what do we all agree on? We may be having differences, but what, what what's our core? What's our foundation? What are those values, those principles that we're all adhering to? And, uh, you know, as needed, calling people out a little bit and saying, okay, what you're doing doesn't line up with what, uh, what we've kind of agreed that we're going to do in our team or our company, whatever it is. And so that, great comments. I really like that. Yes. Question number four is there an example of uh, sometime in your life, whether it's business or, or unrelated, perhaps um, either way, but is there a time when you've had uh, maybe a setback or some kind of a failure as you might perceive it, but turned it into a win? Yeah, absolutely. Um, when I was a chief technology officer for a school district in California, um, I had a boss who was the, the chief business officer, which is often a kind of a normal configuration of technology person, head technology person would report to the head business person of the organization. And uh, she was great. But when we sat down for an evaluation one year, an annual evaluation from me, um, she uh, made a, a, a statement that was, you know, talking about what, how she was perceiving that I was performing in a certain area. And it was completely wrong. <laughs> but at least in my perception, wow. <laughs> right? But, but, but I, I think, it, and it hurt, you know, it was kind of like, wow, man, that, this person, my boss really um, doesn't understand what's really going on here. And it's reflecting badly on me, um, which, which was something I had to obviously kind of take away and think about for a while. And, but, so that was kind of a failure. If anything, even though I didn't agree with it, I didn't think it was correct what her perception was, it was still her perception. And it was something I had to deal with, right? And so I, I sat down and I thought about it and I thought, well, I do have some fault in this, even though I think she's wrong, because obviously I didn't communicate very well what I'm doing 
and that's why she got this perception, right? And so um, I started thinking more deeply about that. And I, I don't know how many different kinds of positions, leadership positions are like this, but I can tell you when it comes to being the, the head technology person in an organization, it's quite often that the person that you're reporting to doesn't understand very much about what you do. Wow. Okay. That, that's just, you know, it's just kind of a fact of life. And, and I sort of realized that through that situation, realized, wait, you know, she doesn't really understand what I do. And, and I also realized that, that that is a good thing and a bad thing. Like in a, in a sense, in this case, it reflected badly on my evaluation because she didn't understand something. But a lot of times I realized I would subconsciously use the fact she didn't understand my job very well to hide behind things and to fail, but not let her see it. I could kind of get away with stuff mm -hmm. because she had to kind of just trust me in a lot of areas right. because she didn't really understand. And so um, once I started really realizing, I thought, you know, if, I, if I'm really confident that I'm doing well in this position, what I should do is set up my own evaluation process for myself that's based on, on data from the people who really understand whether or not I'm doing things well. And, and in the case of myself, I was a leader. And so that meant getting a survey information from the people I lead and letting them tell me whether or not I'm doing a good job. Really great. And so I, I yeah. developed that whole process. Yeah, I developed a process for evaluating myself um, that then I took at the end of the year, my evaluation meeting, I took all that information to my boss and said, here it is. Here's what my people think of me. Here's the things that they identified I, I could probably do better at. And these are going to be my goals for the next year is to work on these things. And when I did that the next year after that, evalu that bad evaluation, um, my boss was absolutely blown away by the transparency in that. And, and the humility that I had to be able to allow my people to tell me how I, how I was doing. <laughs> right. Um, right. And it absolutely transformed um, not only my practice, my leadership practice, but my relationship with my boss. That's a great story. I love that. And you used the word humility because that was the word that was coming to mind was that you had the humility to accept not just the, the criticism and not just kind of swallow it, but to actually learn from it. And that's the very point of this question is to say, okay, well, something that was kind of perceived as a setback or a failure, you turned it into a win. How do you learn from it? How do you grow from it? And I love that approach. You know, I, I usually end my podcast episodes with this phrase, but I'm going to cheat a little bit and bring it uh, here, here and now because it makes so much sense for this part of the uh, discussion. But I always talk about have humility to learn and then courage to act. You had both. And I just, I, that's such a great example of how you handled that situation. You had the humility to learn from it, but then you also took some action. You didn't just right. sit on it, but you said, okay, what can I actually do to improve the situation? I love that. That's a great example. Thanks for sharing that. Absolutely. All right. Our last question. Tell us just a little bit about your very first job. My first job. Um, I signed up for the United States Air Force when I was 17 years old before I started my senior year in high school. So I knew wow. I was gonna go. Um, I, it had something to do with 
a, a movie that came out in 1986. <laughs> that you it had a sequel with. just this last year. <laughs> yes, that that's the one. Right. So, um, yeah. So I, I was very inspired by that movie, like a lot of young people were, and and decided I, you know, I don't really want to do college right now. It wasn't something I was that interested in, and uh, but that I was interested in, and so I I went into the Air Force. I signed up for the Air Force. And uh, um, as I went in, I was still 17. I had to get permission from my parents. I had to get them to sign off because I was still 17 when I, I turned 18 in basic training, uh, which was, you know, not the greatest birthday ever. But <laughs> but I, that was my first job. And um, I was assigned my job. I, you know, you get to uh, in, in the military, when you go in, you can, you do what's called a dream sheet where you say, here are the top eight jobs that I would like to have. And then I found out that they call that a dream sheet for a reason, right? That <laughs> <laughs> you, you put what you want and then they go, yeah, we're going to give you this. <laughs> so, um, but I was fortunate. They gave me my number four choice on the dream sheet, which was an IT job in the Air Force. And that really uh, shaped my entire career. Uh, So it was an incredible experience. And I was stationed overseas in Spain um, for two years during the Gulf War, first Gulf War, Mm -hmm. um, and uh, got to travel all around Europe and have some really incredible experiences. And um, I I owe a lot of growing up and a lot of work ethic and a lot of, um, uh, of my abilities today to that start that I got in the military. Well, that's great. And yes, a great launch, if I can dare use that word in an Air Force context there, but uh, a great launch to your whole career. That's great. And thank you for your service to our country. I appreciate that personally. So thank you. My pleasure. And Tim, thank you so much. I've really enjoyed having you on the podcast today and hearing of your experiences and your wisdom and your insights. How can people get a hold of you? Well, I have a website. It's pretty easy to get to. Um, it's uh, my company name with an IT for information technology in front of it. So itbatonpass.com. And you can get my phone number, make an appointment with me there, um, see what we do and, and the whole bit. I'm also got an unusual name, Tim Gorey, spelled G-O-R-E-E. And you can search my name on LinkedIn or Facebook or Twitter and I'm I'm there. I'm in all the spaces there. So awesome. Great. Thank you again. This is Sean Richards with the Team Engagement Podcast, where leaders of teams share their insights. For more ideas, we invite you to go to teamengagementpodcast.com. We also invite you to subscribe or somehow follow whatever it is that you do, whether it's uh, the video or audio version. We would love to have you join us on a regular basis. And again, we remind you to have humility to learn and courage to act. Thanks so much for joining us on the podcast today. Have a great day.